Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Welcome everyone to the sixth round post-fight show. I'm your host, Bookie Alexander, joined this week by Dane Fox. We're filling in for Zane and Eddie this week. And we're going to give you the rundown on what happened at UFC 278 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, if I could sum up this card in a bloody elbow specific way, a lot of tonight's fights were candidates for MMA depressed us. But the main event, I still cannot comprehend that outcome. I could comprehend Leon Edwards winning the title from Kamaru Usman a thousand different ways, but not fifth round head kick knockout in the final minute of a fight that he was clearly losing. I am in total disbelief, and that result is why we love this sport so much. 100 percent uh the only fight that comes to my mind uh that can even compare with that uh ufc 117 uh is kicking anderson silva's ass for the entirety of the fight until silva throws up a desperation triangle choke and retains his championship uh i i love the uh the vibes that uh, uh this fight has with regards to that because had Usman won this fight, he would have tied Anderson Silva's record for most consecutive wins, and Edwards snatched that away from him. Yeah, he did, and he avenged his most recent loss to, to Usman way back in 2015, and it, this was his rocky moment. He's Rocky Edwards. This was his rocky moment, except this wasn't Rocky one where he loses, spoiler alert. This was one where he becomes the champion, and he did so in such an unbelievable, hard to believe, well, that's redundant, but unbelievable way to pull that off by knocking Usman out the way he did. And with the commentary team, Dean Thomas was basically saying Edwards was ready to quit in there and that he, he was broken, um, but he, he was hardly broken. He found his opportunity. He needed a finish. I, I know you brought up Silver versus Sonnen as a comparison. Uh, I'll go a different direction outside the UFC. And more recently, um, Sergio Pettis against Kyoji Horiguchi. Now, in this instance, Pettis is the champion, but he was very clearly losing to Horiguchi. And much like Leon Edwards, he is not known as a finisher. Like, he's a very, very good all-around fighter, but a dynamic finisher he is not. And then what happens? Sergio Pettis knocks Kyoji Horiguchi out cold with a spinning back fist. So this, to me, was, was the UFC equivalent to Pettis Horiguchi from last year. And that is going to live on in the memories of fans for, for years to come. And all this, like, 15 seconds after the crowd was booing the lack of action. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair to the crowd, they were, they were on it pretty well tonight. Um, there were long periods where uh, fighters were gassing because Salt Lake City, you do have to deal with the altitude there. And it was, it was hitting the fighters a lot harder than they expected it to. But when the action was delivering, the crowd was uh, 100% there with them. And the, the explosion of the crowd when that knockout happened, holy crap, that was intense. It, it, it really was. And um, even John Anik, who, who's just a wordsmith on the mic, all he could muster up was a no way. He was all of yeah. us at that point. Instead of being the, the broadcasters, you can pluck every word out from the dictionary to describe something. That was the spontaneous reaction of pretty much everybody. And, um, yeah, Leon Edwards, props to him. I didn't really think he had much of a shot to, to, to beat Usman. And he gave, us, he gave us a little bit of a scare 
or, or at least something to think about in that first round when he took Usman down. So it's not just the fact that he's the first to knock Usman out. He's also the first one to take him down in the UFC. And he took him down into full mount, clearly went in the first round. But rounds two through four, that was more of the type of fight that I had expected in general. So he, he started well and he finished well. Everything else in between was very much a losing effort. But rounds one and five, those two moments he capitalized on, one that won him around and another one that won him the welterweight title. Yeah. Um, Edwards, uh, he tried to prepare for um, fighting at altitude. He arrived in Salt Lake City two weeks early. He had, They claimed that he had a, an altitude tent or, or something like that. Um, but uh, unless you are truly acclimated, like it's something that you do day in, day out, Altitude is something that is extremely difficult to deal with. There's a reason why uh, the camps in New Mexico at uh, 5,000 feet with, with uh, Jackson Wink, uh, um, Trevor Whitman's camp in Colorado, and e- even in the past, uh, I, I remember back in the day that a lot of the Militich guys would train in Salt Lake for, for long extended periods. There's a reason why they train at altitude, and Edwards – he got lucky in the sense with that kick. He was, you know, he, he was well-conditioned enough that his technique didn't completely evaporate, but you could tell that it was wearing on him in rounds two through four. And Usman, who has been training in Colorado for the last several years, it, it didn't seem to be affecting him one bit. No. And on a night when, yeah, quite a few people were, were gassed out within a few minutes. I mean, two weeks versus training at high elevation for years. I mean, you can see the difference. And, of course, Usman just being a phenomenal wrestler. And we've never really seen him have cardio issues even before he moved to to elevation. So, you know, Usman was getting to Edwards with the pressuring. I was worried for Edwards in the sense that he was not responding well to the fact that Edwards, uh, uh, Usman rather, kept coming forward. And... Him continuing to go forward and throwing body shots and then throwing elbows, dirty boxing a little bit, and then dropping down, changing levels, and going for the takedowns. They became increasingly easier to get. A um, lot of fouling in this fight. We've we got to be honest here. Uh, Usman grabbed the cage several times. Edwards did so as well. And in fact, in one instance, Herb Dean actually gave Usman the position back because Edwards uh, braced his fall and tried to get out of a takedown by flagrantly grabbing the fence. They were both grabbing each other's gloves. Um, there was an eye poke from Edwards, and then there was a low blow that was a borderline shot. I thought that was more of a belt line than an actual um, illegal shot, but still, it was a, a rough and yeah, it, it was a rough and tumble fight at times. But I, I wasn't bore, as bored as the crowd was. I still found it, you know, fascinating to see Usman just wear Edwards out in a way that was reminiscent of the first fights. But the fact that we hadn't seen Edwards in this much trouble for so long. And we saw something out of him that we've never really seen it before. And and it's such a storybook ending for, for him. And well, his story is really only just beginning. But the last fight, he was on the cusp of getting knocked out by Nate Diaz, who was down for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, poetic justice in that sense. Uh, you know, the tables were reversed. And uh, Diaz wasn't able to finish the job, but Edwards was able to this time. Yes, it, it was a perfect shot, and yet another fifth-round finish. I mean, I brought up Pettis Horiguchi. That was a fourth-round spinning back fist. Um, this one, we're a few months removed from Prohaska and Teixeira, the clear fight of the year at this point. Yes. And Prohaska, uh, he was down on the scorecards, so he needed a finish, and he got it in the most un, uh, in, incomprehensible way, which is to submit Glover Teixeira. I'm trying to figure out if this is more astonishing than Prohaska Teixeira, I, I'm leaning towards this one being more 
uh, of just a mind-blowing experience to, to see Edwards, whose last true knockout, you know, not that TKO Peter Sabota, who was just, you know, it was a mercy <laughs> stop, but his last real knockout was Seth Bazinski in 2015, yep. April 2015. And to, to conjure up that, his first head kick knockout ever, I mean, just, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Leon. I don't know what's next. He's got a performance bonus. We know that for sure. Apparently, Dana White said at the press conference that they would like to do Edwards and Usman, the trilogy, but in England. Um, I don't know what that would mean for Chemaev or any other contenders, but hey, it, with the way that fight ended, it's 1-1. I'm down for, for a trilogy fight. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. I'm, you knew as soon as uh, Usman hit the canvas that that was going to be the next fight for, for Edwards, that they were going to run this back, and, and rightfully so. Uh, there's now some interest in seeing this fight again because um, I think a lot of fans were just like, okay, it's going to be another Usman defense, and it was playing out that way. Now people will want to see the rematch because Edwards is the guy who who beat the unbeatable, so to speak. And and to kind of go back and touch on uh, Prohaska and Teixeira, I'll agree with you that that was the, the fight of the year. That's 100% true, but I think that this was the moment of the year just due to the fact that Usman was so untouchable. He was on the verge of, of tying Silva for the, for the longest win streak, and then just out of nowhere, you know, right when we thought that he was about to cinch that record up, Edwards took it from him. So, yeah, I, I think that this is a little bit more uh, climactic than uh, the, the finish from Prohaska. Yeah, that fight was back and forth. This one started out brightly for Edwards, and then it just turned against him pretty quickly because Usman, uh, each each round felt progressively more like Edwards doesn't really have a route back here. And yep. he, he's never had that big knockout punch in him, um, but it, it only takes one moment, and that's the beauty of the sport. And Ed, yep. sorry, Usman ducked his head to the side, so we get consecutive main events. We're ducking your head one way, leads to a perfect head kick knockout. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And you know, uh, I, I got to give uh, Daniel Cormier credit when he, when he, when he deserves it, because I'm one of his biggest critics when it comes to his commentary, but he, he laid that out perfectly uh, in the post-match uh, uh, chat that they do. And he just showed how Edwards set it up. You know, he got the punch going straight down the middle and it, it led to Usman leaning directly into it. And he, he was out cold immediately. You could see that. Perfect technique. Um, yeah, we, we can't harp on that enough. Yeah, it, it was just you. You, if I told you how that fight would play out, the whole truth, you would think that I was making it up or I was playing EA UFC four, and <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Leon Edwards is the new UFC welterweight champion. Uh, so we'll probably see the trilogy next. And boy, that would be an amazing atmosphere in England. The atmosphere in Utah was, was really good, better than I expected. But in England, they're going to make that feel like, you know, the World Cup final and the Super Bowl and every, every major event rolled into one. Oh, yeah. No, uh, there, there was nobody on the card that had any ties to Utah. They were just a rabid fan base. But when you can tie a local hero to the fan base, you are going to get a severely rabid bunch of fans. And so I highly expect uh, Usman to be going into different territory. Um, it's, it's going, I think that the third fight will be more competitive, uh, you know, more back and forth especially given that Edwards is not going to have to deal with the altitude that Usman has obviously uh, gotten used to. So very excited to see a trilogy. I, I hope that uh, Dana, Dana White follows through with uh, having it booked in England. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, before we move on, got to say, I love Trevor Whitman. I like Team Elevation. This has been a horrible 2022 for them. I mean, <laughs> it's not just Usman, but Gaethje and the way that he lost. And Nama Yunus turning in one of the worst fights we've ever seen. Uh, I mean, oh, this God. was just, you know, a, a kind of a freak result. But still, this has not been one of their, their better years for their top fighters. So, hey, it happens to even the best camps. 100% true. Yeah. Now, yeah. the co-main um, event. I, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I, we're good. We're good. Let's go to the co-main event because uh, we, we, we witnessed uh, the retirement of Luke Rockhold. Yeah, we witnessed the retirement of Luke Rockhold. We, we witnessed, to me, the new gold standard for good, bad fights on MMA depressed us. That's got to yes. go like into the HOV lane, right into MMA depressed us. It was the fight of the night, deservedly so, because it was one of the crazier fights we've ever seen just in terms of the decision-making, the ways that these two would throw big strikes after showing complete exhaustion, the reactions from Rockhold, where he would land a big shot on Costa and then put his hands on his knees like this was the end of Kimbo versus Houston Alexander. Um, <laughs> if the main event was shocking for the result, the Comey event was shocking in the sense that it actually went the distance. Yes. Um, Rockhold has had a notoriously bad chin. Uh, heading into this uh, contest, he had last three of his last four fights, all of them by knockout. And given that Costa is just a, a bricked up uh, meathead who who has put out the majority of his opponents with his punching power, everybody expected the same to, to come here, especially given that Rockhold had been away from the sport for close to three years. So credit to Rockhold, he did put up a hell of a fight, uh, even though he spent probably half of the fight with his hands on his knees. Um but he, he was defiant. Um, he, he launched uh, a lot of kicks uh, to, at Costa to keep him at a distance and keep the fight competitive. And, and probably what was truly the moment of the fight, and it was Rockhold's last moment as a fighter as well, um, defiant to the end, he, as, his, as blood is pouring out of his nose, he rubs it into the face of Costa as he's uh, laying on top of him uh, as the final seconds tick away, just... 100% pure Rockhold in that moment. Yeah, just just smearing blood on all, all over Costa's face. And, and White said in the press conference, Costa and Rockhold are, are both a little nutty. And tell you what, those two are meant for each other. I, I wish yes. they could fight like 100 more times. But obviously, Rockhold is, is seemingly retired because you can't really you can't really count on retirement sticking in the sport. But I, I will credit Rockhold for the fact that Costa hit him with some hard shots and he didn't fold up. Because we've seen that yeah. Rockhold's chin, historically not the greatest. But, um, and credit to Costa, too, because he ate some heavy body kicks. And that's Rockhold's best asset as a striker. Those body kicks from, from Southpaw, he absolutely just loads up on them. And we've seen him get stoppages and hurt people with that. I remember he folded up, I think it was uh, Costa Philippou in a main event yep. several years back. And, um, it, you know, Costa... I thought he was going to get him out of there in the first couple of minutes, but then he decided to take Rockhold down. And I went, all right, so Costa's going to pick the most difficult path imaginable to beat Luke Rockhold because Rockhold is such an outstanding grappler. Costa's not a hopeless grappler or anything, but don't give him that path to victory. And mm-hmm. everything just went off the rails. I mean, even when they got back to their feet, Rockhold, he, he was spamming body kicks. He threw four of them in a row. Costa was was playfully gesturing at, at, his, at his midsection there, at his abs. And then you saw Rockhold's nose was was just 
pouring blood and he was breathing out of his mouth. And as I put it on Twitter, we got two big middleweights colliding against each other and an unranked heavyweight fight broke out, but with a little bit more skill, I would say. <laughs> and it, it, it's not too often you get fights where both fighters make such comically terrible decisions and it enhances the quality of the fight and the entertainment value of it. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that both of them are just immensely talented. You know, their physical skills are right up there with the best. It's just, it's always been the fact that they're head cases. You know, I remember when Rockwell became champion, uh, he wasn't thinking about uh, successfully defending the belt. He was thinking about, well, I don't want to be on 199. Who wants to be on the pay-per-view before UFC 200? course it's where he ends up and i think that you know stuff like that he he was easily distracted by didn't take this thing seriously because rockhold's kind of a head case and and costa he in his last fight prior to this one it was scheduled to take place at 185 he in one of the weirdest back and forths uh with uh between fighters negotiates it up to 205 a whole weight class uh higher than what it was scheduled to take place at which is just insanely ridiculous so uh, both of them had cases in in many ways uh as ridiculous as the fight was and nobody really saw it coming it's almost like you know what we, we should have seen this ridiculousness coming it's it's just perfect for these two yeah we knew that there was going to be some form of chaos in this fight just because of the way costa fights and rockhold's fragility historically and we got that and then some and it felt like that fight was going to end at any moment like 80 times over and it just kept going and, and i thought that rockhold had a couple of chances really uh he he took uh costa no costa threw a kick he fell and then rockhold wound up on top of him and i thought okay if he gets the side control you know rockhold his top game is elite if it's anything like it was a few years ago and then costa escapes and i go well now that was probably the opportunity gone and the way the fight ends with costa uh sprawling after rockhold takes a bad shot he's in a dominant position he's got the back and then rockhold predictably spins spins and, and winds up on top and we get that ending with with the blood smearing so uh for Rockholes, uh, I know he's been very uh, vocal this week with the media yes. and, you know, it's saying a lot of things about the UFC and fighter pay and this and that. So I'm sure the retirement bit uh, won't necessarily upset the UFC all that much. But on Paulo Costa's side, uh, with a wink to USADA after uh, his, his uh, drug test on Friday, I wonder what's next for him because he has fought quite a few of the top 10. And I believe that Strickland is fighting Cannoneer next. So that's not an option. You have Whitaker and Vittori fighting each other in two weeks. So he's already fought Vittori and lost to him. Adesanya is fighting Pereira, and there's no reason to do Adesanya Costa too uh, at all. Uh, Jack Hermanson, I think, is fighting Derek Brunson. I, I feel like Costa versus Darren Till would be the fight to make, if only because it would certainly get an exciting fight out of Darren Till. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, and you know I'm I'm kind of looking. It, Till has some similarities uh, uh, to Rockhold. Uh, he can be a little bit of a head case himself. Uh, there's been some fragility issues with Till before. Uh, so if we could get something as stupidly ridiculous as this again, I would 100% be up for that. <laughs> um, otherwise, I, I think that we would have to wait a little while for uh, uh, some other fights to play out. Um, you did point out Vittori and Whitaker. Um, if uh, uh, it, it, that takes place in what two weeks? Yeah, two weeks. 
And so uh, if, if it ends up being Whitaker and Costa, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that either. But I, I think I'm with you. Um, if Till recovers from uh, his recent injury uh, speedily enough, that's a bet I would 100% want to see. Yep. The, the other potential messy fight that would just be nonsensical in terms of the, the process of both fighters, probably Costa and Drikas Duplessis. I mean, that fight might be too much for Duplessis, but screw it. I mean, those two in 15 minutes could just create mayhem in the cage. And it, it, it would have to be fought in front of fans. Oh, 100%. There, there's no way in hell that that fight could be done in the apex. Uh, <laughs> yep. You know, no, no, no Costa fights in the apex at this point. Yeah, no, no more Costa fights at the apex like the Vittori fight was. I mean, uh, there are certain fighters who have to have their fights in front of fans. And Paulo Costa, whatever you think of him as a fighter, as a person, um, he is guaranteed excitement. And it, you can always bank on a good time when he's fighting. And somehow, some way, he managed to out-crazy the Yoel Romero fight from three years ago. That was his last win until now. So he, he retires Luke Rockhold. That was the fight of the night. One of the uh, worst fights in the night, I'm afraid, was Mirab Devalishvili against Jose Aldo. So Jose Aldo, the good news for him, Mirab Devalishvili did not take him down. He said he wouldn't come close. He, he wouldn't come close to taking him down. Mirab went 0 of 15. The bad news, Jose didn't... Um, didn't throw enough. And I know there are people upset. Some people scored the fight for Aldo. I love Jose Aldo. He's one of my favorites of all time. I cannot in good conscience give him this fight just because there was so little activity from him to the point of passivity. And I have to think that a lot of it was just the takedown threat from Devalish Billy and not wanting to get caught off guard because, you know, Mirab, there was a lot of stalling going on. It wasn't until the third round he mounted any semi-meaningful offense and just by being busier, Devalish Billy won. Yeah. Um, the way that I scored the fight, uh, Aldo was, I gave Aldo the first round because even though Devalish Billy was uh, attacking him with the, uh, with the takedown attempts, he didn't score any. He didn't have any serious offense himself. And in between, Aldo was getting some good shots in. But as, as the fight wore on, Devalish really did not slow down one bit, whereas you could see that uh, Aldo was not only throwing less frequently, but he was having uh, less less thing in those shots. Uh, and it, it happened progressively where the second round you could maybe say, eh, it was a bit competitive, but like you said, Devalish really was just so much busier. It was impossible not to give him the second round, in my opinion. And the third round, it was it was all Devalish really. Uh, Aldo was, it, it's almost like uh, his pride in not wanting to get taken down is the only thing that kept him going in the third round. He said he wasn't going to get takedown. He, it, it, that happened, but he just, he didn't have uh, the, the energy to hang with uh, Devalish Vili, who has always pushed an insane pace. And it, it, in the end, uh, the fact that this was taking place at altitude is what swung me in favor of Devalish Vili, um as, as far as this fight goes. In many ways, it played out exactly the way that I thought it would. Yeah, officially it was always 16, so uh, it, that only enhances all those cases, and I am the firm believer that he has the greatest takedown defense in the sport has ever seen. Uh, but in terms of the strikes that he threw, he threw 67 significant strikes, which over 15 minutes means he's averaging four strikes thrown a minute. That is insanely low output. And I don't know if that was like an overcompensation because he was afraid of gassing, but 
I mean, he, he he was economical to a fault. And I think the first round he definitely took. The second round, I gave it to Davalashvili because I could hardly remember a thing. Aldo landed cleanly. And then in the third round, Davalashvili did the smart thing, which is, all right, I'm not getting these takedowns. I'm going to throw some strikes. I'm going to stay busy with knees to the thigh, you know, th- throw the odd elbow here and there. Just do something that catches the attention of the judges, as opposed to just stubbornly going for takedowns and then nothing else. So that little adjustment meant that the third round was w- not worth debating, and that ended up winning him the fight. So obviously we got an, an issue here with Devalish Philly in the sense that uh, he's not going to be challenging for the title next for, for two reasons. One, Aljamain Sterling's a champion, and two, it doesn't seem like Dana White was too thrilled with Devalish Philly's performance. So that's a double whammy. So suppose Dillashaw beats Sterling anyway in October, it might not be Dillashaw versus Devalish Philly next. It could be Dillashaw against the Jan O'Malley winner or something like that. But, you know, I still like Marab. This was not one of my favorite performances of his. Um, but uh, in lieu of a title shot and maybe in lieu of waiting, uh, I'm trying to think of what could be next for him. And I, I'm wondering if it would be the Sanhagen Yadong winner or Marlon Vera. Maybe they just do the Marlon Vera fights as a number one contender bout. I would imagine that they would probably go the route of uh, uh, Marlon Vera. Um, another uh, fight that would uh, actually be kind of fun to see would be uh, Davalashvili and Jan. Uh, I understand that Jan is fighting Sean O'Malley next, but if, if Jan can get past O'Malley, uh, I think that's a, a fight that they would set up. Um, I would say the winner of Jan O'Malley, but I don't think that the UFC is ever going to match up Davalashvili with O'Malley. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they, there's certain fighters that they do uh, protect to an extent. And I think O'Malley is one of those. I do not ever see Dallas really fighting O'Malley. Yeah. That would have to be uh, one of those instances where they have no other choice, but to fight each other for that to materialize. It's not like O'Malley has no chance or anything, but he doesn't have Jose Aldo's takedown defense and Dallas Philly, if nothing else, he is doggedly determined to get a takedown and his, his gas tank really can hold up over 15 minutes. We know, but if they do Devalish Philly versus Vera next, really, to me, Devalish Philly's next fight should be a five-rounder. I do like yep. seeing fighters tested in a 25-minute um, situation, or at least preparing for a five-round fight. And I get the sense that, depending on who he's fighting, Devalish Philly's game might not necessarily hold up well over 25 minutes. But against a lot of fighters who can't deal with that constant pressure and, and shooting in and the stifling of offense and, and having to defend all those takedowns. Um, Mirab would be the one doing, doing the wearing down. Yes. Uh, and uh, I, I am very interested to see uh, if it is Vera, because uh, there's a lot of the, um, similarities between Vera and Aldo. Uh, they're fairly economical with their striking. Um, but at, at this stage uh, of their careers, I, th- I believe that Vera has a better gas tank. Um, and he's not quite as tight technically as Aldo, but I, I think at this uh, juncture, he is the more dynamic uh, striker between the two. You know, he, he took out uh, uh, Cruz just last week with a, with a head kick. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you, the more that you mentioned Vera, the more I think that that, that is the fight that I would want to see out of him. Um, but I, I will throw this out there. Um, speaking of uh, uh, Cruz, now that we've got both Cruz and Aldo uh, coming off losses, do you think that we could possibly see that match? Because that's something that I think fans have would have been wanting to see since Aldo dropped down to bantamweight. They might. I wouldn't really want to do it because I'm pretty sure Aldo would win comfortably. 
But it's two WEC legends. It's a former Bantamweight champion against the former Featherweight champion. It is very clear that with Aldo's losing, Aldo's losing of this fight, he's not going to be making another run at the title, which sucks to see. I wish they had just given Aldo the Sterling fight next instead of Dillashaw, but I get why they did it. Um, Aldo versus Cruz can easily headline a fight night, so I, I think that they would uh, entertain it depending on how long Cruz is out. And uh, maybe Aldo would be interested. I mean, there are probably not too many fights he's thinking about before before um, hanging them hanging them up for good. So I I wouldn't be shocked if they made it. Aldo versus Cruz. There's there's going to be some intrigue. I am not terribly excited about it in 2022, but it's still a fight that they can make. You're right in the sense of uh, at 2022, you know, because it, it is a little bit late. Um, but uh, you know, there's a lot of these fights that happen better late than never, and and I do believe that more often than not, we get pretty good results out of them. So that that's one that uh, certainly intrigues me. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll see. Um, Aldo only has so many fights left in him. Um, but yeah, I, I I think he can still be a gatekeeper if he wants to be, but. I think he'd be more interested in taking legacy fights, and I think that one would potentially be a legacy fight. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do like Jose Aldo against Jack Shore anytime soon. Like it's going to be yeah. Aldo against a name, and and then we we see what happens for the rest of Aldo's career. But he takes the Aldo Valishvili, very much in title contention, but not getting a title shot next. We assume. Now we get to uh, the significant drop-off on this card um, because it, this was a top-heavy show. And uh, these these first two fights on the main card really didn't belong on the main card. I know that they got finishes, but that doesn't make them good fights. Lucy Pudilova returning to the UFC after getting cut and then winning five out of six on the regional circuits in the, the Czech Republic, her native country. She stops Wu Yanan, second-round TKO, bringing down the elbows, just serious punishment late on in the second round. First round, pretty dull um i was hoping we wouldn't get 10 more minutes of that but the, the head and arm throw that we we must see in in any event that has a women's mma fight we saw that and that proved to be the beginning of the end uh, for wu yanan because she couldn't defend that and pudilova thanks to the advice of her of her coach said go to the back she went to the back and from there wu had no chance at all uh, yeah um I, I go back to the first round with uh, with Pudilova and just thinking, oh crap, John Kavanaugh has taken another exciting fighter and made them into something boring because, you know, we, we've all been harboring um, uh, a grudge against Kavanaugh for turning Johnny Walker into the person that he is now, and it looked like he might have done something similar to Pudilova, but uh, once she uh, got the ad- advent- advantageous position on the ground with uh, with uh, Yanam. She she just unloaded. It, it was a uh, a, a brutal side of uh, Pudilova that we haven't seen before. She's she has been a wild brawler before, but that was just in in uh, intense with with the viciousness in which she delivered those elbows. So uh, good stoppage for her, um, good return for her uh, coming back to the UFC after a couple of years away, and. Um, uh, I would imagine that this is probably the uh, end of the line for uh, Yanan Wu uh, as the loss drops her to one in five in the UFC. Yep, not just one in five, but two of those. Uh, well, actually, this is the first time she's been stopped. Her one win is against uh, Laura Mueller, and I think that was a um, an, an armbar finish. But yeah, um, if Pudilova was the brawling type, you know how how she used to be, that might have been the best way for Wu Yanan to win this. But this, it became a low-output kickboxing match when it was on the feet. And then on the ground, 
Wu really didn't have much to offer, and, and Pudilova yeah. got the job done. So I can't imagine that they would give Wu another fight. It's a four-fight losing skid, and for uh, Pudilova, it ends a four-fight UFC losing streak for her because she got cut back in 2020 as a result of the four straight losses to Aldana, Karmouche, and then Shevchenko and Justine Kitsch. So that's um, down at flyweight. But I think this fight was at Bantamweight, right? So, um, you know. Yes, yes. Pudilova's still only 28 years old. So there might yet be something to, to her being able to stick around in this division, which isn't really deep at all. And if this is Pudilova 2.0, based on her run in the regional scene, and then this win over Wu Yanan, maybe she can at least hang around a bit longer than she did the first uh, the first go around. Yeah, no, I, I anticipate that she'll find more success this time around. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of her dropping down to flyweight during her first run. Uh, I think that was uh, part of the problem uh, with her with her extending her losing streak. Uh, she just she didn't have the same energy that she had when she was fighting at bantamweight, and and now that she's back at 135. Uh, with uh, with a different training camp, I, I think that she's going to be able to find a little bit more success. Yep. Now, moving on to the opening bout of the main card, and uh, look, I said this on Twitter, Ty- the Tyson Pedro stopping Harry Hunsucker in, in 65 seconds. This was a boxing pay-per-view undercard type of fight where there was only ever going to be one winner. Hunsucker really shouldn't have stayed in the UFC as long as he has. Um, I think he got the call on short notice, even after losing on Contender Series, and that's why he's he stuck around through three fights. But dropping down a light heavyweight didn't help him either. So Tyson Pedro, absent for four years from the octagon, now has back-to-back knockout wins, and and good for him. First fight in front of fans uh, in in during that time as well in four years. Uh, yeah. Um... To, to give you an idea uh, of how much Hunsucker did not belong here, uh, he's had three fights in the UFC. He did not make it past two minutes in any of them. So I, I don't want to crap on the guy. You know, that's that's longer than I would have la- ever lasted in a UFC fight, so I can give him that much respect. But, you know, you, you want a certain level of fighter to be there, and it was obvious that Hunsucker never was. And the UFC throws him on a pay-per-view main card. What the crap. Um, but, but you know, credit to Pedro. He did what he needed to do. Um, he looked sharp, uh, which is good to see given uh, his extended injury layoff. Uh, there's he's, he's still relatively young. He's not 30. Oh, okay, so he is 30, um, which at light heavyweight is still fairly young. So he's he's got time that he can end up uh, uh, making a run. I wouldn't say he could end up being a contender, but he could break into the top 10 at light heavyweight. Uh, he's got a decent grappling game, um, good boxing. I, it's good to see Tyson Pedro back because uh, I, I was beginning to question whether we would ever see him back again uh, after he uh, uh, had multiple issues with his knees after he uh, jacked it up against Shogun. Yeah, I swear he was actually ranked uh, in his first UFC fights because he had stopped Khalil Roundtree. He had stopped Paul Craig. He lost to Ilir Latifi, uh, the GOAT himself. And then he submitted Saperbek uh, Safarov, who I recall not being any good, but that got him an OSP fight. And 
I assume that he was ranked at the time. So he's just having to build himself back up. There's, I think there's nothing wrong with him getting these types of uh, shake the rust off fights because Ike Villanueva and Harry Huntsucker are not exactly the cream of the crop at 205, not even in, in, in the middling level. But yeah, Huntsucker, as you said, not only has he not gotten out of two minutes in any of his UFC fights, but he, his contender series fight against Jared Vandera, he was stopped in three and a half minutes. So his, his nickname is the Hurricane, but he's barely been a tropical disturbance in the UFC. And I imagine he's going to be gone a- after this. But for Tyson Pedro, um, you know, light heavyweight, again, not a particularly deep division. I don't think he'll get top 15 next. Uh, I don't know what Jimmy Crute's up to, but that would be cool to me. Uh, another one that I thought about, uh, Kennedy and Zetchiku, um mm-hmm. or uh, Darren Jung, somebody along those lines. Yeah, I think that would be appropriate. And it would be a significant step up from uh, these last two opponents. But he's dominated. And how, how did he do it in this fight? Well, he hurt Hunsucker with a jab, got him backed up. And I thought it was a sweet move to just front kick right to the to the gut. And it had Hunsucker collapsing in a heap. And that was all she wrote. Uh, there was no need to really go on any further than that. So that was the main card. Now the prelims. Marcin Tybura versus Alexander Romanov was supposed to be on the main card. He got bumped for Pudalova versus Wu Yanan. Um, Tybura ends up with a majority decision, handing Romanov his first career defeat. And I didn't see this coming after the way Tybura got big brothered in the first round. And I certainly didn't see the result itself coming, even at the end of round three. I thought for sure we would have had at least two judges score round one as a 10-8. But we only had the one. So Tybura gets the victory, and he gets back on track with the win. And Romanov, uh, maybe he was the victim of the Salt Lake City elevation, but uh, that was not encouraging as far as how quickly he exhausted himself. I, I think uh, elevation was only part of it. Um, he has been w- well-known for, for just lifting and throwing his opponents around, and he did exactly that against Tybura in the first round. Uh, the thing is, is that he has also slowed considerably um, uh, once the fight leaves the first round, even when he's uh, fighting at sea level. Uh, so I, I don't think that he respected uh, the elevation that Salt Lake offers. Um, didn't even bother to think about it. Just have the type around. And, you know, the, the way that I uh, saw the fight happening was either Romanov would get a, a, an early finish and he, he, I, I think if he'd have played his cards right, he could have gotten that in the first round or he was going to gas and Tybura was going to make a fight of it. And Tybura came back, he made a fight of it. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a good chance that Tybura ends up being the first one to sign up for the next time the, the UFC returns to Salt Lake City because uh, he's, he's got not only uh, probably uh, his biggest career win now uh, coming over to Omaha, but uh, really the only... Um, fun highlight finish that he has in his career came in Salt Lake too when he uh, had kicked the crap out of Victor Festa so I think he's got his new favorite fight location yeah he certainly does so as far as the the 10-8 conundrum I can see if this was like a year ago I think that would have been a unanimous 10-8 but since they've been a little bit tighter on the 10-8 awardings uh, I guess you could say what might have hurt Romanov was the fact that yeah he he had slammed Tybura down a couple of times emphatically. He got in some shots, some of them were to the back of the head, but he also wasn't terribly close to actually finishing the fight, and it never looked like Tybura was seriously hurt. 
So if we go by the three Ds, the dominance, damage, duration, was there dominance? Yes. For the duration of the round? Yes. Was there a whole lot of damage? Uh, that's where it gets dicey. So in that case, you could see how a judge would score at 10-9. I wouldn't. I would like the rules to be as such that zero offense gets punished a lot more than, than it is yes. right now. But, you know, I, I guess in a way it, it's, a, it's a learning lesson for Romanov because I vaguely recall his other time getting into the third round was just a really ugly fight with Juan Hespino that ended yep. with like a, gro a, a low blow. He got hit low. And that fight almost went against them. I mean, it was a split decision. Yeah, no, uh, most people agree that he weaseled his way out of that. Um, reports are that he spent a good chunk of time in the hospital, so I'm not going to go that far. I don't know what the story was with that. But uh, you're, you're absolutely right with regards to uh, the way that the first round played out. I, I'm with you. I would rather see more 10-8s as opposed to less. Um but, it, it, you know, in, in many ways, it's it's it could prove to be beneficial for Romanov in the long run. Uh, it, now that he has an official loss on his record, it's going to require him to uh, take some time to step aside, say, ask himself what went wrong. And hopefully he can make the necessary adjustments, because if Romanov uh, begins to fight with greater intelligence, he could be a major force of the division he could be a title challenger i just i don't think that it was going to happen until he suffered that l and he did so here so i think long run this could prove to be good for romanov um but as it is um Fibura ends up getting his sixth win in the in his last seven fights uh he's probably going to get a top 10 opponent next um, and uh, quite the, the surprising run that he's had uh, after he had a period where he dropped four out of five. So uh, good on Tybura. I expect Romanov will bounce back uh, in a pretty big way. Well, what I would like out of Romanov, because he certainly got a lot of the physical tools, but it would be cool if he would know how to jab. I mean, his, his, his stand-up, is, especially his boxing, needs a ton of work. I mean, he was doing the Ali shuffle in the third round, and I just shook my head. I'm like, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. Uh, a guy who has spent his money in five and a half minutes, um, uh, think think uh, he's Muhammad Ali for a great moment, and then just not throw anything of consequence for the remainder of the fight. But yeah, Taboras one six out of seven, as you said. He, he's a he's a gatekeeper essentially at this point of his career, um, a high end gatekeeper because I don't think he's got really the the upper level talent to make a run, a, a Cinderella run to a, a title shot or anything. But if, if nothing else, other than that bad patch he had against Abdurrahimov and Derek Lewis and Augusto Sakai, he, he, he was in bad spots against Walt Harris and Greg Hardy. And I think even the Ben Rothwell fight too, and certainly in this Romanov fight, but he's pretty yeah. good at weathering storms. And if he does that, that increases his chances of winning right there and then. Yep. Yep. No, he's, he's uh, basically an ideal gatekeeper to the top 10. So, um, yeah, but at the same time, as, as a gatekeeper, if you keep winning, you, you got to get your opportunity to, to knock on somebody else's door. I think you'll probably get that here, whether he's successful without knowing who he's going to be fighting. I, you know, I could still say, I highly doubt he'll find success beyond that, but doesn't mean he doesn't deserve the opportunity. 
Yep. All right, that moves us to Jared Gordon versus Leo Santos. Shout out decision for Flash Gordon. Um, I almost want to move on to the next fight because it was that bad. But um, there was one <laughs> moment of controversy. There was one moment of controversy, and this is relevant because of what happened in the main event. Gordon got away with a fence grab in the second round when Santos shot in for a takedown and wasn't punished at all. And then Herb Dean, after the second round and then just before the third round started, so during the break, he had admonished Gordon and, and gave him a hard warning. And I would go, well, geez, Herb, if only you could do something about it when you saw it initially, Santos could have had the position, and that would have been Santos's chance to at least win the round or maybe try and, and, and grapple with Gordon because that was really the only way he was ever going to win the fight. Um, but besides that, Gordon just, you know, he did a lot of dirty boxing, attacked the body of, of Santos a ton. Santos's gas tank at 42 years old and given his style was unlikely to hold up in, in high elevation. And it was just a, a ho-hum fight and a, and a pretty comfortable win in the end for Gordon. Uh, yeah, it, it was a very boring fight, but credit to Gordon because it was also a very intelligent fight from Gordon. Uh, he used his wrestling to get the fight where he wanted, which usually, you know, you use your wrestling to, to get the fight to the ground. He used it to push Santos against the fence to where he could unload uh, his punches into the gut on Santos. And, and you could see Santos slowly wilting. Um, good performance from Gordon. Uh, not really a fight I ever have any interest in, in seeing again. Uh, at 42, uh, it, it makes me wonder if the UFC is uh, just going to cut ties with Santos at this point. Um, maybe he goes home and just decides he's done himself. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last time we see him uh, fighting in the UFC at this point. Yeah, it'd have to be the end. Not only is it three straight losses, it's the hat trick. Knockout loss. Yep. And that was one that I think he was going to lose a decision anyway, but he got Kale Cole with a second left in the fight against Grant Dawson, um, submitted by Clay Guida, which is just wild to say given Santos's jujitsu credentials. But he, again, he gassed out, and this was after just about knocking Guida senseless um, with his striking. Mm -hmm. But we know Clay Guida's history, even though he's past his prime, he just finds ways to, to fight his way back into things, even when he's in trouble. And then Gordon, that was just uh, one of the, the least exciting uh, fights of the entire card. And for Gordon, it was a smart fight because he's just coming off getting submitted by Grant Dawson. So I wouldn't want to tangle mm -hmm. with, with Leo Santos on the mat. So he did what he had to do. He had the striking advantage, and Santos really couldn't even make the most of being being the, the longer fighter. He didn't kick enough, and he just kind of accepted Gordon crashing into the clinch and closing the distance on him. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Santos, he... It, maybe it's his age, maybe it's the altitude, whatever it was. Um, Santos just, he doesn't seem to have the same fire that he that he had when he was in his late 30s, which wasn't that long ago, but he's still fairly old. But, you know, uh, father time comes for us all. Um, and I, I think at this point, Santos, you know, he's a, he's a world-renowned uh, uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner. Uh, I, I believe he still uh, is the jiu-jitsu coach down at Nova Uniao. Um, perhaps at this point, he just focuses on that um, and uh, calls it a career. Yeah, that's what we most likely see. Hey, he, he's carved out a, a pretty good career for himself in MMA, especially yeah. given the, the long layoff he had and that he was still able to uh, compete into his 40s. But he ends up with a loss here. Uh, the next fight didn't have a loser 
officially, but I'm pretty sure there was a loser in this fight. Sean Woodson and Luis Saldana, a split draw. And Woodson was just about knocked out in the first round. Saldana just pissed around and celebrated the first knockdown too early. It was a check hook that it was hard to catch live, but he dropped him hard. And he was out of the camera shot after that knockdown. Okay, no problem. He drops Woodson with a jab. And then he celebrates again. And then he moves in and throws a very illegal knee to the head. Joe Rogan obviously needs to uh, hook up with Zenny Eyewear for better glasses because he thought that was to the chest for some reason. The replay proved him wrong. Uh, But it only merited a point deduction and not the end of the fight. Woodson's a better man than me. I would have gladly taken the DQ and the win bonus. But after that, um, Woodson had Saldana in a buggy choke at the end of the second round. That was... uh, something you don't often see in the UFC. And then the third round was just a mess. I, let's be honest. After the first round, this fight was just ugly to watch. And I have no issue with the draw. I think I scored it for Saldana, but in spirit, with the way that Saldana messed around in there, I am more than happy with the fact that he didn't win. No, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. Uh, I ultimately did end up scoring it for Saldana as well, but... That it was just, it was the absolute worst case of fight IQ that I had ever seen. Um, Saldana had Woodson hurt, and he just he he let him dangle there, and it, it, he it, he almost got away with that. And then it just that knee, oh my god! Yeah, yeah, you've already explained it in detail. I'm not going to go any further than that. But it, I Saldana was somebody that I was intrigued with uh, heading into the contest. I thought that, that he had. Uh, some talent. He just had to iron out a couple of wrinkles, and I thought that he could be a, a dark horse in the division. And, and after that performance, it's almost I I, I don't even want to to see him. Can, uh, uh, it, we'll just put it this way: um, along with Rockhold and Costa, this was one of those fights that you were referring to that will probably end up on depressed us, um, just because it's fresh in my mind. It's already frustrating me so damn much. Um, but hey, you know, you can watch Gordon and Santos on that depressed us as well. Like you said, this card was just touch full of those. Um, and yeah, I, I almost want to, um, fault Woodson as well. Cause I'm, I'm with you. I, I, if I'm him, I take that DQ happily. So, uh, it's tough fight for me to talk about. Yeah. Um, Woodson, he, he prefers to box. He landed some shots on Saldana, but he just didn't throw enough for my liking. Saldana likes to kick more. And since Woodson's body construction is 90% legs, I understand. Uh, he, he is slender man come to life, but I, I've just, this fight was forgettable outside of the craziness of the first round. And Saldana really just, instead of the, the old snatch defeat from, from the jaws of victory, I guess you could say he snatched a draw from the jaws of victory. I mean, that was uh, really, really dumb on his part, not once, but twice. And we, we end up with a draw. We could we could have easily had two draws on this card, and that would have been a rarity in itself, but this was the only draw of the night. Now, this next fight easily would have been fight of the night if not for Costa and Rockhold. Angelusa and A.J. Fletcher just went and, and poured their hearts and souls into this uh, 15-minute battle. Lusa... Struggled a bit in the first couple minutes. Fletcher was having good success on the feet, but then Lusa figured out that AJ Fletcher likes to come forward, not moving his head, and Lusa can just time him with a right hand over and over and over again. Hurt him at the end of round one, 
round two, he kept having the same success. I mean, the, the cross was something that Fletcher just would not adjust to for the life of him. And then Fletcher decided, you know what? I've been going forward for much of this fight. I'm just going to throw a bunch of punches and see what happens. And it, he had Lusa hurt many times over. He was out on his feet. Maybe another ref on another day, maybe in another state, would have pulled the trigger and stopped the fight standing. But that ended up not being the case. And then Fletcher, on a night of questionable decisions, maybe he did this out of exhaustion, the heat of the moment, shot in for a takedown on Lusa and essentially gave Lusa free recovery time to see out the rest of round two. And then you could see in round three, Fletcher visibly exhausted. He had nothing left. And Lusa just parked in half guard, throwing strikes here and there not to uh, force a stand-up. And Lusa gets a decision win and the first UFC win of his career. Yeah, um, very indicative of the uh, high fight IQ that Lusa showed that he just decided to hang out there in half guard. It, it was boring as hell. But if he wanted uh, the surest route to victory at that point, that was the route to take. He took it, got him the W, got him a, a win bonus as well. And, and let's face it, in this business, you, you want to get as many of those as possible. Uh, so when it comes down to it, I'm actually still impressed with both of them. Uh, you know, like you said, once Montalusa uh, got a feel for uh, what Fletcher was about, he just he just kind of pieced him up from about the halfway mark of the first round to about the halfway mark of the second. He, he looked awesome. Uh, Fletcher showed a lot of durability in there. Uh, but so did Lusa, uh, given that he amazingly didn't go out cold uh, from that flurry from, from Fletcher. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I was a little bit shocked that the referee didn't stop it. I, I thought that that should have been stopped at a couple of times. But given the fact that Lusa was able to recover, I'm going to say, okay, maybe it shouldn't have been. I'm not going to say definitively it shouldn't have been, but it, it did end up being uh, a fun fight at the end. Um, Lucy gets his first win. Uh, Fletcher drops to 0-2 in the organization. Um, there's a possibility that he could end up getting cut. I I don't think he's going to because I think he showed enough in this fight that he'll get another chance, uh, especially given that he's still on the uh, young side. But uh, it's one of those things that we'll have to see. Yeah, it was an enjoyable fight. And I believe that even in the lead up, there was expectation that, and Zane had written it in the predictions, this was going to be a, a hell of a battle because they both like to throw knockout shots pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. And yes, they both showed great chins because Lusa got just about KO'd and Fletcher had his legs stiffened in the opening round too. Um, so it, it was a, a Good win for Lusa to, to keep his UFC career alive as well. And like I said, this would have been a fight of the night on most other cards. And then Costa versus Rockhold came along and, and <laughs> took $50,000 away from both men. I hope they got some other bonus as a result. But uh, Lusa, that, that, uh, the Henry Hooft, um, the Henry Hooft uh, influence was, was very evident in the way that he, he, he fought that fight. Yes, yes. No, he... He just he started flowing. You know that's the thing about Hoof's fighters. Once they get down his system, once they've got a natural feel for it, they just they start flowing and they're able to land their power shots. Um, obviously, that got interrupted when when Fletcher knocked him silly. But uh, yeah, it, it's not hard to see why uh, the UFC uh, signed Lusa after uh, he lost his uh, uh, contender series fight. Um, but then again, he lost that fight to Jack Della Maddalena, who, who appears to be one of the uh, better products to come from that uh, uh, show in, uh, in in the last couple of years. So, 
yeah, a good one for Lusa. Um, I'm hoping we see more for Fletcher. Yep. All right. So from the welterweight division, we go to men's flyweight Amir Albazi against Francisco Figueredo. Uh, not a good night for Frankie Figs, as I would call him. And the the brother of Davis and Figueredo just couldn't deal with Albazi's wrestling and grappling, and he got choked out in a round. So Albazi has been out for a year and a half, and he looked like he had no cage rust at all. He he looked sharp all the way. Yeah, um, I had forgotten about how uh, how excited I was about Albazi when he first came into the UFC, just because it's been so long since we've seen him. But he he showed exactly why uh, so many people were excited about him. Uh, he just seamlessly was able to outgrapple Figueredo. Um, yeah, there were some struggles with him on the feet uh, a little bit, uh, dealing with Figueredo's length. But you know, he he was he was picking his spots. To, to get inside, get uh, get the fight to the ground. Um, got a couple of takedowns, and on the uh, on the second one, he he was able to easily find the the back of, of Figgy and uh, got the rear naked choke. Hopefully, Albazi can uh, get a nice step up in competition. Uh, I, I think he's hovering around the uh, the top ten now, so uh, get somebody at or near that level and um i i think we'll get a better grasp of what he can do going forward yep he also gave us one of the humorous moments of the night where he pretended to not understand what rogan was saying in the post-fed interview had the translator in it says i'm just effing with you man so that, that was some some good humor for the night from amir albazi so yes he's ranked number 11 at the moment uh figueredo francisco that is wasn't ranked so this was just you know you've been out for a while we're not going to thrust you into the top 10, which I'm glad the UFC is doing for a change because very often uh, they will just throw you right into the wolves even if you've been gone forever. So Albazi, uh, him and Tim Elliott would be cool. I mean, that that could be especially fun on the ground. Um, I don't know if they'll get him up higher in the top six or seven, but Tim and Mateus Nicolau would be all right with me too. So uh, Albazi was an intriguing talent and be gone for a bit, but uh, hopefully this has gotten him back into a groove and that we can see him make that run at a time when 125 in terms of title contenders is pretty open. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, there's uh, a lot of mystery with regards to uh, what's going to happen with uh, Frankie Figg's big brother, uh, Davison. Um, you know, he, he agreed that he would fight Moreno down in Brazil, but at the same time, there's still those uh, questions about whether or not Davison will ever be able to make 125 again. And it, He had enough issues making it in the past, and he looks bigger than he's ever looked before. Uh, so there is, it does feel like there's going to be a wide open field to a division that has uh, almost felt like it's been stuck in neutral as we've been dealing with fight after fight after not just three fights so far with uh, Figgy and Moreno. But yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, I think that we're going to uh, see a bunch of different um, people emerge uh, near the top of that uh, division over the next few years as we get ready for the sea change. Undoubtedly. Exciting times for the 125-pound division on the men's side. It's a good thing they didn't shut it down uh, when it was rumored or at least threatened a few years back. And for Figueredo, I think he's just forever going to be a, a kind of an inconsistent fighter. He'll give you some thrills. He'll give you some uh, some spills and some not-so-good moments. But for Amir Albazi, he's one to watch over the next couple of uh, years. So look out for him in a bigger fight very soon as he improves to 3-0 inside the octagon. Now we get to the last two fights of the card, two fights that I missed live because I was covering the Alexander Usyk-Anthony Joshua rematch. So I caught up on a Richie Long versus Jay Perrin. 
and Arichi Long got the unanimous decision win 29-28. Perrin had a great rally late on, so he could have had the first big comeback of the night, but it just didn't quite manage to get it. So he needed a miracle finish, and he didn't get it, even though he hurt Arichi Long a few times late on with hooks. Um, there were some people on Twitter, meaning the ones who were responding to me on Bloody Elbow Twitter, who thought that Perrin should have gotten the second round. And look, just turn off the DraftKings app or FanDuel app for a moment. There is no conceivable way you can give him the second round. Arichi Long clearly took the first two. Perrin took the third. This is an easy fight to score. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you 100%. I, I'll, I'll admit that I didn't see uh, any tweets like that. Uh, so that's a little bit humorous to me to to conceive of that. Um, but about the only argument I can think that they might have is the fact that uh, I don't believe Arichi Lang had a huge edge in volume for the, those first two rounds. Uh, let me hurry up and take a look at that really quick. I had that up. Okay, yeah, there we go. Yeah, he. I think Perrin actually did outland it, but the thing is, is that the impact that Arichi Lang had with his strikes was so much greater than that with Perrin. Okay, yeah, round two, Arichi Lang did outland him, but I, I think that those people were were giving uh, too much credit to uh, Perrin for uh, the the takedowns that he landed or takedown that he landed in the second round. He landed in the first as well. That's right. Um, but yeah. Uh, 100% those first two rounds were Richie Lang. But, you know, credit to Perrin. Um, he was the underdog coming into this fight. Uh, and like you said, he came very close to ending the fight at the end uh, when he had Richie Lang on the ropes. And you could say that he was saved by the belt. But uh, fun fight. Um, and uh, credit to, to both of them. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind uh, seeing Perrin hang around. There's a possibility he could be cut uh, now that he's 0-2, but I, I think he showed enough. Uh, it was a fun enough fight. I, I think he comes back. Yeah, not just Owen 2, but having lost in Contender Series. So I guess Owen 3 under some sort of UFC uh, octagon for, for, for Perrin. But for Orichi Long, he's a fun action fighter. I mean, it's two wins in a row after dropping his first two in the UFC. I remember his, his great fight with Jeff Molina. Uh, but oh, yeah, yeah he, he rocked Perrin in the first. He got him with a left hook. And then in the second round, people must have, some people who scored it for Perrin, must have looked at the control time and maybe were influenced by Cormier on commentary for God knows what reason, saying that the fight was could have been 1-1. I mean, 30 seconds or a minute of control time where you land nothing and then immediately get rocked with a massive counter right hand and then get hit with another counter right hand right after that. Damage over control. And that wasn't even a whole lot of meaningful control. So Orichi Long had the more damaging shots through two rounds. Perrin had the most damaging shots of the third round, but it wasn't quite damaging enough for him to turn things around and get the win. So he couldn't get a rally, but you know who did rally? And this will wrap up our UFC 278 coverage. Victor Altamirano against Daniel Da Silva. I mean, this fight had everything in it in, in three minutes, 40 seconds. And Altamirano got the other performance bonus, in case you're wondering. So the main event got a bonus, the co-main event bonus. And then the very first fight of the night, Altamirano had to overcome an early knockdown, getting rocked a couple of times uh, afterward to drop the Silva with a heavy knee to the body. And then the Silva just really couldn't get up. It was just a bludgeoning via elbows. The ground and pound was lethal. And Victor was victorious three minutes and 39 seconds into the opening round. This is a great action-packed fight for as, as, as short as it lasted. It had everything in it. Uh, yeah. Um, 
it, it was uh, Daniel De Silva's third fight in the UFC, and as much as I hate to say that it was also his third loss, I, I love watching the guy fight because every time that he steps into the cage, it's just 100% pure action and excitement. Uh, and obviously this didn't disappoint. It, it went in uh, uh, Alta Moreno's favor, obviously, given that he's the one who won the fight. But, uh, yeah, um, De Silva is one of the funnest fighters that they have on the roster, if he stays on the roster. But uh, Alta Moreno deserves all the credit in the world. He, he I, I get the feeling that he expected uh, Lacerda to come out, or excuse me, De Silva to come out aggressive because uh, he – he seemed to be expecting it, um, which rightfully he should have been expecting it, and survived the early storm. Uh, and he ended up hurting um, the Silva himself, knocked him down, and then, like you said, just brutalized him with the elbow. It, it was an exemplary performance, uh, good rebound for Alto Morano after dropping his uh, UFC uh, debut in a very close split decision loss. Uh, I, I don't know how bright of a future Alto Morano has, uh, but he looks like that he could uh, hang around uh, for a while, deliver some fun uh, flyweight fights, and uh, yeah, great way to uh, kick off the uh, the event. Yep, excellent fights. Uh, I mean, one rounders tend not to get fight of the night, but that could have easily been a fight of the night contender again on most other shows. Um, yeah, that knee to the body was vicious. I even left out the fact that the Silva threatened with an armbar after getting dropped, and it was all yep. just in a, in a big rush. And and De Silva has got those those grappling chops, but um, Alta Barana was wise to it, and then it, it felt like that was a hail mary. That, that that was a hail mary for De Silva, and he kind of just felt defeated after that. And eventually, the ref had to make the call because he wasn't defending those shots intelligently, and those are just ripping elbows. And we're bloody elbow. Who doesn't love a good elbow to to help stop a fight? So, great win for Alta Barana, and again, more praise for the flyweight. So they delivered the first two finishes on the card. Um, so UFC 278 all wrapped up. What an event and what a main event. Um, any final thoughts from you, Dane, before we head on out? Um, uh, as always, good chatting with you, Mookie. And um, uh, yeah, I, I, I maintain that uh, the uh, the knockout of Usman will be the uh, moment that we remember most from the year 2022. We might. Joe Rogan just called it the greatest head kick knockout in UFC history. Now, he's one for hyperbole, but uh, you know what? He has a case for being one of the greatest head kick knockouts of all time. That's for sure. Leon Edwards, the UFC welterweight champion. Kamaru Usman, still a tremendous fighter, but uh, that'll slow his roll on wanting to move up to 205 for starters. Um, and then the other bit is it also goes to show you how hard it is to defend the title as often as at the Anderson Silva's and G- GSP's and John Jones's have over the years. Yes. Uh, don't forget Mighty Mouse in there either. And Demetrius Johnson. So uh, that's it from us. You can follow me on Twitter at Mookie Alexander, Dane at the Dane Fox. Uh, Zane and Eddie will presumably be back for UFC Paris. Um, we are on the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, the Bloody Elbow Presents YouTube channel, and a whole bunch of, out- of other outlets that uh, I will list after the end of the show. All your listening options are there. So until next time, please take care of yourselves. We'll be back with more sixth round, not next week because there's no UFC that weekend, but for UFC Paris, gone versus Tuivasa on September 3rd. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, 
as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio-Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook, at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.